Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, in our pew Bibles, it's page 1297, 1297. Let us read the entire chapter, and as we uh, read this chapter, we recognize, first of all, that it's speaking about being justified by faith. In other words, we need to be made right with God, to be able to stand before God by faith and to have peace with God. And that comes, as we're going to read, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, even while we were enemies. God has been reconciling us through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to show the contrast between those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ in way of representation. And to each of those whom Adam represents and to each of those that Christ represents, there is imputed, and, and that means to be placed on their account, uh, a certain uh, debt or a credit. And I just want you to hear this in in relationship uh, to this chapter. As we read Romans chapter 5, let us hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, But we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as one man, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift By grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that is, sin reigned in death. 
Even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. Also, since our text will fit also with uh, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 3, I'd like to also read the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 3, and what we confess in way of necessity of knowing our misery. Question 6. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? Answer, by no means. But God created man good and after his own image in true righteousness and holiness that he might rightly know God his creator, heartily love him and live with him in eternal happiness to glorify and to praise him. Question 7. Whence then proceeds this depravity of human nature? Answer, from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. Hence our nature is become so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. Question 8. Are we then so corrupt that we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness? Answer, indeed we are, except we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. As far as the hearing of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 3. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we entered into what we called the school of misery. And as we enrolled there, and to look at this in a few Lord's Days here, Lord's Day 2, 3, and 4, then we recognize that God has given us His textbook, the textbook of the law of God. And really that textbook of the law of God contains both the the law as we find in the Old Testament, but also the gospel that is contained in it and the promises that are attached to it. We recognize that the course has stringent requirements. It requires perfect obedience. We can't be satisfied with a 99% because then we fail. We need 100%. And the problem is we get our report cards and, and if we look at our own report cards, it's stamped failure. Failure. However, we could also see that in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a way to fulfill the course requirements and get a 100% mark through the Lord Jesus Christ and His perfect obedience even to death. But now to understand how these things are possible and the reason for all of these things, we need to go to a little bit more advanced course. And we need to begin to examine the right questions. And that's what we find in Lord's Day 3. As we begin to ask these questions, did God then create man so wicked and perverse? And the answer is no way. God created man perfectly in his own image. Where where does this depravity come from then? From our fallen Adam. And are, are we then so corrupt that we can't do any good? Indeed we are. But there's this beautiful word, except we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. And I would like to take you into a class to understand this. It's going to be called imputation imputation and our textbook is going to be Romans chapter 5 as we open up God's word and to see how we have all become guilty and depraved but also how we can see how we can become alive and righteous but before we open the textbook to Romans chapter 5 I want to define what imputation is Imputation is to place something on someone's account. And the best way you can think about this, 
especially for our children, is, is to have a checking account or a bank statement. And you, you know, as you put money in the bank, that is a credit. It goes into your account and it adds on to your account, right? You'd like to see that positive number and, and money growing in your account. You're placing something in your account. You, you impute it into that account. You put it in that account. Now, <clears throat> you could also place on that account what's called a debit. In other words, you would withdraw something from that account. You could take it away from that account. Well, when we think about imputation, we think about that very fact. It can be a debit or a credit. Something could be debited from the account or placed upon the account. And so in way of imputation, in the spiritual sense, we could see this as either a debt because of guilt or a credit because of righteousness. So when we recognize Adam's sins are placed on our account and all of our sins are placed on our account, a sin is a debit. And so we who were created perfectly, knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, all of a sudden have all of that wiped away by the debt of Adam's sin, and we continue to add to the debt, leaving us completely bankrupt before God because of the debt of our sin. And maybe you're thinking, well, how can I be responsible for Adam's sin and the guilt of Adam's sin? How is this fair that all of this, these, this righteousness that God has created me with in that it's all been taken away because of Adam's sin. And maybe you want to challenge that. Maybe we just have to understand this to understand what this all means scripturally. There's questions we hope to answer today in way of imputation. I would just like to reread two verses from Romans 5, verse 12, first of all. Therefore, just as... Through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all man, because all have sinned. And then we read the conclusion of the matter in verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came up to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. That's the conclusion of the matter. Imputation of one man's sin made all man's sinners. One man's righteousness, obedience, made all who believe in him righteous. And so I want to look at this with the theme in the School of Misery, the second sermon, the imputation of sin. That's the course we're taking and we're going to see how the imputation of sin, imputation itself, affirms, first of all, the origin of sin. Secondly, it affirms the consequences of sin that we see all around us. And thirdly, it affirms, affirms the gospel answer for sin. Imputation of sin affirms the origin of sin, first of all. Today we hear a lot of talk about origins, don't we? Sometimes you follow the whole scientific COVID discussion and, and they want to get to patient zero. Who was patient zero? Who was the first person who had COVID-19? Or now with the, the new variants like Delta and Omicron, they, they want to get to patient zero of that variant so they can understand how it's changing and mutating and, and so they can provide the best treatments and so on for this and understand the disease. Well, that's very similar to what we're doing today. Maybe we all ought to do more of that than be worried about patient zero in COVID and, and understand patient zero in the way of the origin of sin. And the answer comes here in Romans 5, verse 12, where we read, Therefore, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, 
Who was that one man? Well, we know that who that one man is. It was Adam. But there's something we need to do before we plunge right into Romans 5, verse 12, and thinking of Adam. We need to understand why is Paul bringing this up here in, the, in Romans chapter 5? The sin in Adam. After all, he begins this chapter with being justified by faith to have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and you'd say this hope that does not disappoint because of the love of God that has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That should be encouraging. And now why is Paul going back to our sin in Adam, the origin of sin? Well, in order to understand the great truths of being justified by faith and the fact that we who were enemies with God are now made right with God, reconciled through the death of His Son, to be saved through His life, Paul says we need to understand. We need to understand what sin is. We need to understand the origin of sin. We need to understand our depravity. We need to understand our inability in order to magnify the grace of God in Jesus Christ. First then, we come here to Romans 5 and we are instructed about the origin of this sin that's imputed to our account and the necessity to be justified through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the purpose even of our catechism in bringing us into this school of misery is to understand the source of this sin. Patient zero, as it were. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, this death spread to all men. What is this sin? Well, sin is defined in various ways in Scripture, isn't it? it but, but it primarily means missing the mark of, of God's perfect and holy law. This is exactly what sin is. We have not hit the mark of God's perfection. But it's even deeper than that, isn't it? Especially in this context. Because sin... In this context, the offensiveness of sin is to willingly and knowingly sin against God's clear command. That's what he's emphasizing here. He's going back to this sin in Adam in Genesis 2 where God has established a clear command for Adam. He says, here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat of this tree. You can eat of every tree in the garden. And he commands him to eat of the tree of life and you will live forever. But there he gives him a clear command. And Adam, who was perfectly capable of keeping the law, willingly and flagrantly disobeyed the law of God and missed the mark of God's requirement. And we know that Adam could have kept the law and enjoyed this perfection forever. We noticed Know that, uh, and we confess that also in the Heidelberg Catechism. Did, did God create man so wicked and perverse? No! God didn't create man with sin. God created man good after his own image in true righteousness and holiness. And he might rightly know God, his creator, and he heartily would love him and live with him in eternal happiness to glorify and praise him. That's how God has created us. And that's what makes sin so offensive. As we go back to the origin of this sin, we need to recognize the offensiveness of this sin. It was a deviation from how God had created Adam and us. Deviating from His righteousness. Deviating from His holiness. Deviating from His truth. Willingly and offensively violating God's command. And He become guilty. A 
of sin, of breaking that relationship with God, breaking his image-bearing status. Now you may be thinking, well, this is what Adam did. Why am I guilty? Why am I guilty? Well, what we recognize here is the reality of imputation. Adam, in God's plan, became a representative of all of humanity. All of humanity. And so, by one man, sin entered into the world. Patient zero represented all of humanity, as it were. And this this man, Adam, represented all men. Notice how our text says this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. But how have all sinned? How have all sinned? In Adam. And all continue to live out that sin. And so it's the one representing the all. And all have become guilty. It's affected the whole world, all of humanity. Not only guilty, but we also recognize it impacted our life and our relationship with God. It's impacted us to make us totally depraved so we can no longer rightly know God we can no longer heartily love Him. We can no longer live with Him in eternal happiness and glorify and praise Him by nature. Because in Adam all die. In Adam all sin. And we have become depraved. There is none who do good. No, not one as we saw last week. So we become guilty and depraved. This depravity, it flows out of our original sin. Our natures become corrupt. We become conceived and born in sin. We we continue to sin. And that's why he goes on in this parenthetical statement in verse 13 to say, for until the law of sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. What he's trying to say there is not necessarily that God just turned his eye against sin and and winked at it, but uh, from Adam to Moses when the law was given. But rather he's saying, yes, from Adam to Moses, they didn't have the law of God as it was revealed in Moses, yet they died because they were sinners and God justly, justly judged them for being sinners because they were under the representation of Adam and had the corrupt nature just like Adam. Well, maybe to help us understand this representation better, we need to understand that also in the Bible times, you, and even today, we still have this idea of representation, don't we? Think about David. David represented Israel as king of Israel. When David was obedient to the Lord, living out, being a king after God's own heart, God blessed them with victory after victory, and all of Israel were blessed under the reign of King David. But when David disobeyed God by sinning with Bathsheba or by counting all of the people, the whole nation became guilty of these national sins and were punished for them greatly. Well, today we also recognize that even our government, maybe it's our MPs, they, they, they represent us in, in Ottawa, and, and when our government continues to, to turn a blind eye to the criminal activity, according to God's Word anyway, of abortion, 
we also become guilty of this sin as a nation. Or when they make laws calling that which is evil good and promoting it, we also become guilty of this sin. And furthermore, we even pay tax dollars in way of represent, being under their representation in order to facilitate some of these sins. That's how devastating it is. And that's what it's like being in Adam. We become guilty of these sins. And, and we even continue to support this sinful nature by nature. That's who we are. That's the origin. But the origin, but this truth of the imputation of sin, it affirms this very origin, that the Word of God is true as it comes to us. Genesis 2 and 3 and and Romans 5 here. We find patient zero. In Adam, we have all sinned. In Adam, we also see, secondly, we suffer the consequences of sin. You see, secondly, we find that the imputation of sin affirms the consequences of sin. You see, the guilt of sin, it also merits then the consequences of sin, which is death. And death through sin we read, this death spread to all men because all have sinned. And this death that we find in Adam was an immediate death. We all think of death and, 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 and the first thing we might think of is, is physical death. <clears throat> physical death. And we see the reality of physical death all around us, whether whether it be a loved one who passed away, or you may even just hear about it. If you're younger, you maybe haven't witnessed anyone passing away in, in way of physical death. But it will become a reality in all of our lives. We will come face to face with it, whether ourselves or a loved one. It doesn't take a lot of explaining. Death is, physical death is when the body and the soul are separated. The body dies and returns to dust and the soul goes before God. That's death. Physical death. But this isn't the primary death that's being spoken of here. It's that immediate death that passed upon all men. And that is a death that we don't by nature see with our eyes. It's a spiritual death. It's a death that separates us from God. It's a death that separates us from His holiness and from His righteousness. No longer could Adam say, I am righteous. His righteousness was death. It, was, it died to him. It was separated from him. He was separated from God. There's a gulf that exists between God and man. And the more we sin, the more it separates And this sin and this death that reigned in men by nature as they become slaves of sin and the wages of sin are death. This death, it reigned. We find that in verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. You find that in verse 17. That by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. It had power over us. It's like in a terrible disease that came over us and empowered us. Think about question and answer seven. Where does this depravity of our human nature come from? It comes from this fall in, in paradise. And we become so corrupt that we are even conceived and born in sin by nature, separated from God, inflicted with this terrible disease of sin and death that reigns over us. It spreads through our being. It pollutes the whole of our being. It's dreadful. It leads us to bondage, the bondage of sin. Do you recognize 
that bondage that you're under of serving the lust of this world, the lust of all the gods of this world, serving Satan himself, serving ourselves and our own desires. Do you realize what bondage that brings us in? This imputation of sin affirms these very consequences. Yes, as we look around, we see physical death all around us. We see people dying. But if we look around us, it should not surprise us that we see sin and death, the spiritual death. When we look around, we see that men, women, boys, and girls are separated from God by nature. They are spiritually dead. It's a wonder that that things aren't even worse. We look at the world around us. We, we see how death is reigning over us. All we need to do is look at some of our nation's decisions. What we need to do is look at sometimes even our own lives. And we see the reality of the power of spiritual death. It reigns over us. Because we love darkness by nature more than we love the light. We're under this spiritual death. Yeah, we can certainly see the physical death. If we're honest, we can see the spiritual death. But we also need to be honest with our souls about the reality of eternal death. Eternal death, the judgment of God in eternity. When we stand before God, and if we stand before God guilty in Adam and in our own unrighteousnesses, then we are under the condemnation of God. Just as Paul is saying in verse 16 and 18, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, eternal condemnation. Eternal death if we are in Adam. If we look at the reality of death, we know that this reality is affirmed by the law of God itself and the whole Word of God. Because this death, it's reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who have not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. As I pointed out, that doesn't mean that God overlooked their sin from Adam to Moses. No, their guilt was real because of general revelation, which leaves all men without any excuse. And so this death even reigned from the time of Adam to Moses. And yet there's a difference between their sin and a sin against the clear and direct command of God as Adam sinned. And think about that for us, you and I, who have received not only the law of God, but the whole counsel of God, and we hear it explained to us, and we hear the reality of of these truths of death in Adam and life in Christ, To continue to sin against God in His direct command. How long will God have mercy on us and patience with us? You see, the law, it shows us the reality of this even more. I think of uh, an example for the young people here, especially, uh, you know, if if your parents tell you to be home at 10 o'clock and you get home at 12 o'clock. You know, you know you're in trouble, don't you? Because your parents clearly told you, be home at 10 o'clock. And you missed your curfew by two whole hours. You might have some serious consequences. But let's say you knew your parents kind of expected you home around a decent hour, and you came home at 12 o'clock and your parents come to you and says, you know, we were really expecting you to be home at 10 o'clock. You should, have, you should have known better. You might get a little bit of a gracious pass. 
But if it was clear that they told you 10 o'clock, the consequences are going to be far greater. Think about that for us. We who have the law, the gospel, who are without any excuse, we of all people should exclaim that indeed we are by nature corrupt, inclined to all wickedness, incapable of doing any good when we look at our own hearts and our own lives. There isn't a one of us who could stand before the Word of God and can think, you know what, I'm just about, I'm pretty good. I'm about what God would expect of me. Oh, we need to confess that indeed we are incapable of doing any good, inclined to all wickedness, except we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Now, I acknowledge that Romans 5 isn't speaking of the new birth per se. However, it, it is dealing with the fruit of being born again. Being born again. Because the fruit of being born again is to be justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, He takes dead sinners, He makes them alive by the grace of God, gives us faith. And certainly our text is highlighting that truth. Read again, verse 14. That Adam is a type of Him who was to come. Adam, the first Adam, who we all became guilty under, is a type, is is someone who's going to be similar to one who is to come. The second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. A one who was without sin. One who kept the law of God perfectly. A righteous Adam. A Savior. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And His righteousness is imputed, is placed on the account of all who believe in Him and receive eternal life. All who are born again trust in Him and come under His representation. And so that's why thirdly we see the imputation of sin affirms the gospel answer for sin. The gospel answer to sin is that our account of debt must be paid in full and the account of righteousness must be perfect before God. And that's only going to come through someone else. What encouraging words these are that Jesus Christ, the second Adam, represents us perfectly in that regard. That's the gospel. Now, when we understand typology in way of the gospel, we understand that an Old Testament figure or an Old Testament office, it points us to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the who is the type, or sorry, the anti-type. He's the one whom the type is pointing to. So Adam, as the type, is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's going to be similarities. There's going to be similarities between Adam and Christ. But there's also going to be differences between Adam and Christ in order to show the superiority of Christ who fulfills what the type was supposed to point to. And so, first of all, when we think about the type and Adam being a type, he's similar in various ways, isn't he? To the Lord Jesus Christ. First, he's he's appointed by God as a representation. And, And that representation has an imputed legal status. So in Adam, we become guilty. In Jesus Christ, we become the righteous. Read with me again verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all, resulting in condemnation, guilt, condemnation, punishment. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all, resulting in justification, being made right and righteous unto life. You see, there's there's an appointed representation. They're similar And they similarly give an imputed legal status. Second thing they have in similarity is they have a kingdom. 
and a power. They're, they're similar in, in the fact that they both have a kingdom and both have a power. Adam has a kingdom and a power. It's a kingdom and power of death, of darkness. In Christ, it's of life and righteousness and grace. So those are the ways that they're similar. But you also could hear already the differences. And the differences are clearly set out in the one man's offense or trespass. There is death and condemnation. In the other ones, an act of righteousness and a free gift. So there's very clearly differences. And different actions, different consequences to show the superiority of the gift of Jesus Christ, of the antitype, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament type in, in a way that's far superior. It's far superior in the fact that His gift is superior. How many of you would want a gift of death? Who here would say, the best gift that you can give me is death? That's all Adam had to offer. That's all your parents have to offer you. It's death. That's all your pastor has to offer you as a person. That's all any man has to offer you. That's all Satan has to offer to you. That's all the world has to offer to you. Is death, death, death. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. Is that the gift you want? Well, I would say it would be far superior to be talking about the gift that comes from Jesus Christ. A gift of life. A gift of being right with God, justified. A gift of being restored in God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Restored in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. It all comes through the gift of His righteousness to you when you receive it by faith it's a superior gift you can talk about the quality of the gift you could even talk about the quantity of the gift it's a gift that's far superior to that of adam the gift of of his grace a superabounding grace. It's a, it's a superior gift, isn't it? In, in the sense of, it's all by grace. Adam was through works and a just reward. But, but Christ's representation is all of grace. And, and when sin abounds, Paul says here, verse 20, sin abounds, and then grace is even much more abounding. It's superabounding grace. God's not even stingy with His grace. As a matter of fact, His grace, it reigns. It has power. It reigns in the kingdom of God. Instead of death reigning, grace is reigning. The superior gift. Superabounding grace. And a superior kingdom. What kind of kingdom are we going to have in Adam? A kingdom that's polluted. A kingdom that's in bondage. A kingdom that's in shackles. A kingdom that's suffering under death. Versus a kingdom of Christ that overflows with grace and love and peace and joy and life. Which kingdom? Would you be in? You see, there's really only two representations. And to understand the origins of the problem is to begin to understand the solution to the problem. The origins of the problem is that of Adam and his sin and our sin in Adam. That results in condemnation and death. Those are the consequences. 
But this truth of the imputation of sin also shows us the truth of the imputation of the gospel answer to sin. Where God has taken the sins from our account and put them on Jesus Christ's account. So that He was made sin for us. Even though He knew no sin. To take them off our account and place them on His account so He had to pay the price of that sin 100%. And then to live a perfect life, to give obedience and place righteousness on our account so we can stand before God. Both are absolutely necessary for you and I to enjoy God and to live with Him forever in glory. There is only one way. And it's through imputation. You might say, well, I don't know if I like this idea of imputation because I shouldn't be guilty of Adam's sin. Well, is it fair then for your sin to go to Jesus? Is that fair? Or is it fair that Jesus' righteousness becomes your righteousness? Is that fair? You see, imputation is the gospel answer for our sin. Because when we understand the origin of it, we also understand how Christ can justly take our sin and be our representation and give us righteousness. It's the gospel answer. Have you believed that truth? Because you say, you see, that's what it means to be born again. Is to have your eyes open to see the reality of our sinfulness and death in Adam. And to see the glory of, of what Christ has done for a sinner like me. Taking him on Himself my sin and giving me His righteousness. And then we receive it by faith and have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you believed the gospel? Can I ask you something in closing? I trust everyone here believes that in Adam all have died. You don't have to look around very far to know that truth, do you? We see death all around us. Physical, spiritual, and I hope none of us experience or see eternal death. Not a one. But we can believe that. But how sure are you of Jesus' representation. His representation is even more sure than Adam's. That's really what Paul's getting at here. It's superabounding. It's an even better in quantity and quality representation. In Jesus Christ, he can say, Nothing, absolutely nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's the security of the gospel. That's the security of being represented by Jesus Christ. Will you not turn to him today Flee to him today for the gospel answer for sin. His death, his righteousness, there's no other way. Amen. Lord, as we gather together and consider.
this class of the school of misery one step deeper into imputation. And go to ground zero, patient zero, as it were, to see Adam and his sin and how it's affected us. Lord, may that drive us outside of ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ to find the gospel answer for sin in a superior gift with, that has superabounding grace and a, super, and a superior kingdom. Lord, if, there, if there's anyone here who takes a family picture this, this day, And they look at their family picture and they see that they're in Adam and not in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not in the family of God. God, please arrest them. Drive them to an end of themselves. Drive them to despair of their own righteousness. Drive them outside of anything they might put their hope in. They might find in Jesus Christ such a suitable Savior. We pray it in your name, knowing that you are the one who sends forth your Holy Spirit to to work powerfully and mightily through this gospel. We pray it for your glory alone. Amen.